I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everybody, it's David Pluff. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Well, this will be our final episode pre-election where we have kind of taken a tour around the country to some of the key states. Uh, we'll have an episode uh, next week uh, to be determined exactly what we're going to do there based on on the results. But uh, we're going to end our tour of the country with the state of Ohio, which is, I think most of you know, has a uh, surprisingly competitive U.S. Senate race, um, but also has a couple of key House races and uh, also want to talk about uh, some of the state house uh, races. So we're going to start today with a conversation with Anna Staver. We're going to talk to Anna about the Senate race, the Ryan Vance race, uh, which is a dead heat race right now. Talk about a couple of the key U.S. House races in Ohio, uh, as well as some of the, the state and local races. So get a sense from her about what's happening on the ground. Uh, and then I want to talk to uh, Dave Chase, who's the campaign manager for Tim Ryan. We've had a lot of great candidates and a lot of great campaigns this cycle around the country, one of the reasons Democrats, you know, still have a, a good chance to hold on to the Senate. Hopefully, you know, maybe if not hold on to the House, uh, keep the margin uh, down, win some of these key governor's races. But, you know, I think the Ryan campaign uh, has been a tremendous campaign uh, in terms of uh, a state that, you know, I think a lot of people assume that uh, the Republicans will win Ohio comfortably. Uh, sadly, we've seen drift in that state, Sherrod Brown's 18 race really being the exception to that, uh, you know, the state becoming more and more red uh, after, you know, we had had some success winning it in presidential races and, and governor and Senate races. Uh, but this is a dead heat race. Uh, and the question will be, Tim Ryan, can he get to 50? Uh, clearly, the race is going to be exceedingly close. Um, and I'm excited to talk to Dave really about the state of Ohio, which is to walk through the state, uh, some of the industrial parts of the state, both in a northeastern uh, part of the state, uh, but also uh, along the northern border over to Toledo, talk about the suburbs outside of Columbus, Cincinnati, uh, as well as uh, Cleveland, talk about their need to to really cut down margins uh, in some of these rural and exurban counties that, you know, t not too long ago, Democrats might lose them 60-40. Now we're losing them by 70-80 points. So we're going to take a tour of the state and also talk a little bit about why Tim Ryan has kept that race so competitive, uh, how scary J.D. Vance is as a candidate, but he'd be a lot more scary as a senator. So hopefully you have a, a really good sense of what's going on on the ground in Ohio. I think a, a race that is going to be exceedingly close on Election Day. It's also a state like so many that has a high percentage of the vote coming in early and by mail. I think historically in Ohio, that's around 35, 40 percent. Perhaps it'll be higher this time. So we'll also get a sense of Dave about what he's seeing in terms of the, the patterns and the composition of that early vote. So let's dive into the Buckeye State, uh, the great state of Ohio. Anna Staver, welcome to Campaign HQ. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm not sure at the beginning of the cycle, people uh, would have thought the week before the election in Ohio could play such a critical role in, in the election of 2022, but it is a variety of, of key races. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Dave Chase from the Ryan campaign uh, after you, So, but I'm, I'm actually going to start with the House races, if we could. You've got two fascinating House races, maybe more, you should talk to me, but two that are considered uh, dead heats by uh, sort of House race prognosticators. One, uh, Ohio one, Steve Chabot. I mean, I hell, I ran the DCCC back in 2000. We tried to beat him back then. He, he's been on the list a long time, uh, but this one is considered a dead heat. Uh, got a little more friendly Democratic after redistricting. And then, of course, you have Ohio 13, uh, which is considered a, a dead heat. Uh, fascinating candidates in that race. So just talk, if you could, a little bit about both of those races and, and and what you're seeing in them. Sure thing. And then I'm going to add one more afterwards. Yeah. So in the first district that's down in Cincinnati, that's Southwest Ohio for folks who aren't familiar. And it's between Steve Shabbat, who's a longtime Republican and a Cincinnati City Council person named Greg Landsman. And, you know, it's funny when Landsman announced back in February and January that he was going to run, he referenced his years in the boxing gym, preparing him for the political fight of his life. <laughs> uh, this district does favor Shabbat, but only slightly because for the very first time, we've got Cincinnati in a single district instead of two districts. But it is 
pulling to a very uh, Republican part of a neighboring county. And that could be the key to keeping Shabbat in office. On the total other side of the state, so northeast Ohio, um, actually, it's part of Tim Ryan's old district. You have Amelia Sykes versus Madison Jesiato Gilbert. Um, this is the race of millennial women. These are mm-hmm. two women. They're both in their 30s. Um, both thought they would one time be competitive athletes, but that's sort of where the differences separate. So Sykes is a Democrat. Uh, her family has been in politics for about 40 years. Um, so they are a well-known name in the Akron area. And then you have a political newcomer, Madison Jesiato Gilbert. Um, she was on Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. She's a former Miss Ohio. And she ran a conservative like media column for a while. So uh, two women with like a lot of the same facts on paper, but they came out with wildly different political views. And it's it's kind of been interesting to see how their district is taking that. Well, that that yeah, right. Those personalities. Before we get to the next race, I'll just talk that, about that for a minute. Obviously, the Trump family all in for the Republican candidate. Uh, is your view that 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 race will closely follow the Senate race or could there be some departure in the results between those two races, Ohio 13 and the Senate race? So I think that Amelia Sykes is a lot like Tim Ryan. They're both portraying themselves as moderates, as people of the working class who um, work with underserved communities. And I think that race will very closely mirror the Senate race because it kind of is a rehashing of the statewide Senate race. You have a political newcomer on the right, an institutional Democrat on the left, and a lot of the same mix of that Akron's very blue very urban, but then you have like rural Stark County, which is in part of that district. So it's fascinating. Both those toss up districts uh, have uh, some areas where Democrats should have some precincts where they do exceedingly well, but you've also got areas where the Republicans will also run up margins. So uh, going to be fascinating, kind of a window in the state. So you mentioned when we talk about a third race, which one is that? Uh, the former snake on the lake, the ninth <laughs> congressional district, which is Marcy Captor versus J.R. Majewski. Yeah. And we thought, you know, at the beginning of this year, we kind of thought Captor might lose. Redistricting made it a lot more favorable. But then, I don't know, the National Republican Congressional Committee uh, pulled out of a million dollar ad buy a few weeks ago after some serious questions arose about J.R. Majewski's military service. And basically, mm-hmm. it was stolen valor questions about whether he embellished to the point of lying about what he did or didn't do while serving overseas. And, you know, that race has started to swing more and more in Captor's favor. It's starting to look increasingly like she might hold it. Which is a massive surprise, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, uh, candidates matter, right? I mean, whether Tim Ryan wins narrowly or news is narrowly, kind of the perfect candidate for 2022 Ohio, this Republican candidate against Captor uh, looks like they fumbled the ball. Uh, you know, sorry to bring up fumbles in, in Ohio, but, uh, you know. In what should have been, uh, you know, certainly a winnable race, maybe not definite. So, so those three house races all worth everybody listening. You know, when you've got your tabs open on election night, follow those. Let's talk about uh, Anna, the Senate race, uh, which, you know, by all appearances, I, I think obviously the public polling, my understanding is both campaigns are telling reporters that it's close. Like we're headed to a pretty close outcome here. I think as a Democrat, the question is, Tim Ryan has probably run as good a race as a Democrat could run. You know, can he get to 50 percent? Like it's going to be close. That's that's the the question, of course. Kind of what's your view about where that race stands here in the closing week? Yeah. So there's a big question um, about whether these um, union sort of blue collar uh, Democrats are solidly Republicans now or whether they'll come back or could vote for a Democrat. And that's really the case that Tim Ryan's making. He thinks that the people from his district, which has gotten increasingly red over the years, he represents um, the northeast corner of Ohio. So Youngstown, if your folks are familiar with it, they've seen a lot of job loss. It's the heart of the Rust Belt. And he's been representing those people as they've been voting for President Trump the last couple of years. And he thinks they're gettable. So he's made a real pitch. And... At the same time, he's gotten lucky in the sense that he has characterized J.D. Vance as what he calls a vulture capitalist from San Francisco. You know, tr- uh, Ryan says he's wary of free trade. He supported Donald Trump on China. He thinks President Biden shouldn't seek reelection. And, you know, he's kind of portrayed J.D. Vance as an outsider, right. uh, even though J- Vance grew up in southwest Ohio. 
And he's got this uh, sort of perfect storm working for him. But the thing everyone's got to keep in mind is Trump won Ohio by eight points, both against Biden and against Hillary Clinton. So if Ryan performs 7% over that, that's great, but he'd still lose. Yeah, no, it's it's a tall order. Um, one of the things I'm going to talk to Dave about is just to go through, um, you know, the state, uh, which is a fascinating state. So I'm going to do that with you as well. So, right. I mean, to overperform, I don't think it's just going to come from one place, right? So obviously, the big place of overperformance would be in the Youngstowns and the Akrons and the Toledos overperforming with with blue collar voters, much more so than we saw Hillary or an 18, uh, you know, in the governor's race there. But you know, you're still going to have to do better in the southern and western parts of the state along the border, right? So losing by 40 points instead of 55 in some of those counties. I mean, I don't know if you can overperform what we saw in 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 20 with suburban voters, but you probably have to do a little bit of that. And you've got to win the turnout game. So it's a it's a you know, it's a stew and you can't like, you know, have the perfect outcome without all those ingredients. So like I'm curious, like as you watch the campaigns operate there, um, you know, what are you what are you picking up in terms of like are, are there are the Vance people saying, yeah, Ryan's going to do better in Youngstown and Akron, but we're still going to do as well as Trump did in the smaller rural counties. Like, what are you picking up from the campaigns in terms of what they think their secret sauce is? Well, I think uh, J.D. Vance is sort of counting on those voters being more Trump voters now, more mm-hmm. solidly in his camp. Um, you know, he has the uh, former president coming here November 7th, so day before Election Day, and Republicans tend to vote on Election Day or closer right. to it. So he obviously sees the importance in closing out with the former president. Um, he's leaned into some of those culture war issues, um, talking about education and, you know, LGBTQ kids in like transgender bathrooms and athletes. He's leaned into some of those, trying to energize his base. He's also got, um, you know, a little bit of luck in the fact that the governor's race is going so far in favor of Republican Mike DeWine. I think he's I don't think his campaign is explicitly saying so, but I get the impression that they're going to hope to capture some of those voters who are excited to come out for the governor and just sort of vote Republican down the ticket. Um, I think also, you know, one of the problems with Tim Ryan that we keep hearing from is that it's possible that he's run so far to the middle that turnout isn't going to be great in the big C's. And for those who don't know, the three C's are Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. They sort of bisect a diagonal across the state, and no Democrat can win without them. But early voting data isn't showing big turnouts in those cities and Democrats tend to vote early. And there is some real concern that perhaps, you know, that Ryan hasn't done enough to bring those base of voters out in a midterm. Well, that no, that's and we've seen that in some other states where I think, you know, every campaign, I mean, Ohio does not have party identification on the file, right? Some states do, but all the campaigns model every voter and have a sense of like, is that likely to be a Democrat or Republican or a swing? And I think, you know, for the most part, the composition we're seeing in Ohio and elsewhere is pretty good as a Democrat. But, you know, you are seeing some underperformance in some core urban areas, also just young voters across the board. So that is a, a warning sign um, for sure. Uh, and what do you have? I mean, I think traditionally Ohio's what, 35 percent, 40 percent comes in early by mail or in person. Or you think that may increase this time with sort of post-pandemic voting habits? What are we looking at in terms of early vote percentage? Well, Cuyahoga County, which is a major Democratic stronghold, thinks 60 percent of people will come out early. So that's sort of up from 2020 even. Um, and across the board, you know, early results, we we start early voting about a month before the election. So we're already well underway. Um We actually had our first weekend of voting last weekend, which is Democrats were sort of optimistic that we'd see a tick up then because a lot of times folks can't get off work to go down to the board of election. Um, So I think what we're seeing so far is a slight uptick over 2020 overall. But a lot of that gain has weirdly been in areas more like Summit and Stark and other counties that aren't the big three C counties. So that'll then depend on just Democratic vote share to take advantage of that uptick in, in turnout. You mentioned the governor's race. I mean, we see uh, just to the east of you in Pennsylvania, you know, Josh Shapiro, you know, pretty comfortably ahead, but not by like a massive margin. I mean, DeWine could win this by what do you think the margins? What, what are polls showing the margin could be in that governor's race? Oh, geez, it's ugly. Um, a lot of it is showing a 15, 16, even 20 point spread for Governor Mike DeWine. And, you know, that's wildly different. You know, uh, Ryan and Vance are within the margin of error, but um, 
you know, Mike DeWine's competitor is polling in the like high 30s. Um, it's former Democratic Mayor Nan Whaley, in case people right. don't know. So, I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Missouri back in 2016. So Hillary Clinton lost, you know, I think by 16, 18 points. Jason Kander almost won that Senate race against Blunt. So this is the same type of dynamic for Ryan, right? Which is you're going to have DeWine winning anywhere from he'll probably get 55 to 60. So you're going to have to have a a pretty significant share of the Ohio electorate uh, going Republican governor, Democratic Senate. Based on polls, clearly a lot of them are planning to do that. The question is, and that so that final margin in the governor's race is going to be pretty important. If if DeWine wins with fifty five or fifty six as opposed to sixty, that could make the difference. Oh, absolutely. And we actually just anecdotally have been talking to a number of voters as they go and vote, and we're finding a decent chunk of DeWine Ryan voters out there, particularly in Northeast Ohio, right, where we right. had sent out some reporters. Um, so ticket splitting is definitely something that's happening. Um, what's interesting is a lot of the ticket splitters are saying they liked how DeWine handled COVID. They remember him from his daily press conferences. We used to call it Wine with DeWine. Um, and they think he bucked his part to do mask mandates and shut down the government. He was pretty early on those things, and he held on um, for a long time. And they also think that Tim Ryan is someone who bucks his party. So they're sort of choosing that like maverick in both cases. That's the appeal, I think. No, definitely outsiders are doing exceedingly well across the country in this election. Ohio, a prime example of that. So, And unlike Pennsylvania, Anna, election officials are allowed to count early vote before the polls close, right? So we should get a, a... a good sense of where these races stand on election night into Wednesday morning. Yeah. So thankfully, Ohio, um, what they do is they process the votes. They don't officially count them, but they put them all in the system. So they like push a button at 730 and then magically we get early vote totals. So we'll get a pretty decent chunk. And what I tell everyone is if a Democrat's going to win, they need to be up significantly in those early votes, because it's going to get more and more Republican right. as the night goes on. So if DeWine is tied with Nan Whaley, say, at 735, it's over, and we all know it's over. Mm-hmm. So we'll want to actually see Tim Ryan ahead by a decent chunk of change as we go later into the night, because that'll just shrink as more and more Republican counties return. Right. So I'm curious, you mentioned Trump's coming in for Vance uh, and uh, clearly a turnout play. I'm just curious, you know, as you and, and your colleagues travel across Ohio and talk to to Republican voters, you know, Trump himself, uh, now many in his party, not all, but many in his party, question the validity of elections. Uh, elections are rigged. We can't trust the outcome. Uh, Trump is obviously also maligned Mitch McConnell, who if, you know, Vance were to win, ups the odds of McConnell being Senate leader. You know, he's, I think, had a a bipolar uh, relationship with Kevin McCarthy. But like the message is basically, I'm not pumped about the people who would be in charge in Washington if the Republicans win and the elections are rigged. Are you picking up any uh, just on the margins, any Republicans saying, yeah, I'm not going to vote because I don't think it's worth it? Or is that not a factor? Um, that seems to be less of a factor. There was some concern initially, actually, whether it was going to tamp down turnout because for folks who don't remember, the Governor Mike DeWine won his primary with a plurality of the vote, not a majority. Mm-hmm. A majority of Republicans wanted someone else. They just split between the anti-DeWine voters. Mm-hmm. And there was a real question about whether people were still pissed about, say, mask mandates, about COVID, about election security issues, and whether they were just going to not turn out. And it seems like they're coming home pretty solidly. Um, I actually, this is totally anecdotal, but we spoke to a voter, a 24-year-old, so a Gen Z farmer out of the Cincinnati area who had been a Joe Blystone person in the primary. So voted for someone other than DeWine. And she was like, look, I don't like them, but they're way better than the alternatives. So I came out to vote. Yeah, well, that's going to be so important because obviously we've seen strong Republican turnout in Ohio the last uh, few election cycles. Well, listen, Ohio just votes. It always has. <laughs> uh, but but, you know, I think I think for Tim Ryan and, and some of these uh, House candidates to survive, you know, you you you, you a, a huge turnout is going to be really difficult to, to overcome as competitive those races are. Uh, and you expect, let's say Tim Ryan uh, is declared the winner. Uh, based on results. Um, is J.D. Vance going to acknowledge that outcome? I Gosh, that's a hard question. I'd like to think so. I think if it's not close, if we're, I think if we're bordering on a recall, 
I think he would wait, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's advantageous for him to wait. I think it's going to have to be pretty clear that Ryan has won. Uh, but I, I think so overall. He doesn't strike me as the type of person that would really challenge that if the results are obvious. And I mean, also... If you want to challenge it and you're not within the margin of recall, that's a very expensive thing to do because then the candidate has to pay for it themselves. Right. So maybe it doesn't formally challenge, but could refuse to concede or, you know, potentially raise questions. Uh, I mean, I think that's going to be fascinating for us to watch all around the country in races where the Democrats do win. And listen, it's not like Ryan's going to win by four or five points, so it's going to be close. No. Still, you know, it could be tens of thousands of votes, which, of course, no recount has ever overturned. Uh, but, but fascinating. I'm curious that in the state house where Republicans have such strong majorities in uh, the post redistricting landscape, uh, do Democrats have a chance to uh, narrow some of those uh, margins or are we still looking at basically super majorities? What, what's the conventional wisdom on on the state house? In the state Senate, I don't see a path to breaking the supermajority. It is. 25 to 8 right now mm-hmm. and just they and there are 17 seats up but democrats aren't running in four so like the math is really difficult there and I, I i could see them picking up one maybe two seats there are three pretty close state senate races um two are held by republicans one's by a democrat i could kind of see all three of those going either way but that's not going to shift the overall balance of power there's a little more wiggle room in the state house if it's a good night for Democrats, they could break that uh, veto-proof majority, mm-hmm. which would be an important thing because DeWine has broken with them on some issues, particularly dealing with COVID, but with some other issues. So it'd be, and he'll be, you know, the end of his term. He can't run again. So there's some questions about whether he might come out on some legislation that he's long sort of stayed hidden about. There's some real questions about whether he even supports the death penalty anymore. And so... Mm-hmm. I'll be really curious to see how that all shakes out. So I think there's a chance in the House, probably not in the Senate, but neither chamber is going to flip control to the Democrats. That's my prediction. Okay. But still worth watching some of those House races, state House races closely. So a question for you about Ohio, which, of course, you know, the old uh, expression was, uh, as Ohio goes, so goes the nation, right? And uh, that that was probably true up till 2012, less so now. So uh, now if Tim Ryan, you know, shows a pathway, maybe Ohio becomes a, a battleground state again. But I'm curious about, you know, and this, neither of these may be true, but let's just, you know, play fantasy for a minute. If Trump and Biden both don't run and seek their party's nomination, I mean, you've got, you know, it's not inconceivable that Sherrod Brown again, uh, you know, takes a look at that. I'd say if J.D. Vance wins, even though he'd be a freshman senator, he might look at it like you see any any presidential candidates coming out of Ohio uh, in a scenario where you don't have Biden or Trump running. Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, Sherrod Brown is the guy we all hold out as uh, proof that a Democrat can win statewide. He's the only one to have done so in the last 10 years. And uh, but I don't know. He's getting older. I'm not sure that he would want to run. You know, the thing that Maybe Tim Ryan. I mean, he'd be a freshman senator, but he's been in the House. He did run for president once before. He is talking about generational change. He might be the the person who takes another look at it if, uh, say, Biden decides not to run again, particularly if he can pick up Ohio. Right. For states like Ohio, because, you know, yeah, right. If you can win Ohio, you, even though the, the Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin are getting harder for Democrats, they're still a few points uh, more available. And so and J.D. Vance, what do you think? Like, of course, you know, the, there is a celebrity political um, phase we're in. Right. So so, you know, I, I don't think that uh, 10, 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago. Somebody who literally just got elected. Now, Obama, hey, I was part of that. You know, he wasn't in the Senate that long, uh, just a couple of years. But, you know, they, things have changed. Uh, Obama, Trump, you don't have to have the 20, 30 years of resume anymore. Uh, you think J.D. Vance could run? I think he's smart enough to know that, like, DeSantis and others in the Republican Party would knock him out pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, Ron DeSantis is probably the heir apparent, in my opinion, should uh, Trump not run again. Uh, and, you know, he's got massive, massive national name ID fundraising. I think Vance is a pretty smart guy that would sort of and he's also a pretty young guy. He's 37, I think. So he's probably got some time to think about that or some time if he wanted to move up. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's got modest ambitions. So it'll be interesting to watch his uh Watch his pathway here. Um, the one thing I think folks learn is 
you know, once you get, start to get a lot of that moss in Washington, um, you know, sometimes it's harder to run uh, because more elections than not, people are looking for an outsider and, and somebody who's more of an insurgent. It's fascinating. Well, uh, Anna, thank you for your time today. It's a, it's a great overview of Ohio. You're going to have, uh, it sounds like, uh, some really close races at the Senate level, at the U.S. House level, maybe at the State House level. So it's it's nice to have Ohio firmly back in the political conversation uh, where it belongs, in my view. Uh, and thank you for your coverage to date. And uh, would encourage everybody to follow Anna on social media and, and follow her writing. So you can, uh, in these closing days in the aftermath of the election, uh, learn as much as you can about, about this critical state. Thanks for having me. Dave Chase, campaign manager for Tim Ryan. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, listen, you're bringing hope to Democrats, uh, not just in Ohio, but all over the country. Uh, Wasn't too long ago, obviously, that we used to see Ohio light up blue, narrowly, but blue. Uh, It's been a while, and you guys are obviously in a dead heat race right now. So I'm going to just give you an opportunity to take the mic and tell us where you see the race. Uh, You and I are talking on Monday, so eight days out from the election. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't point out Sherrod Brown uh, is uh, statewide elected in Ohio. So while we've struggled well, yeah, with the presidential, yeah. we've uh, we've done all right yeah. in the Senate race this year, uh, more so than than other states. Um, look, I, I think we have a race here where we have a phenomenal candidate in Tim Ryan, and uh, you know I think a, a real mismatch and a, a poor candidate in JD Vance, and that's what you're seeing a, a close race, even though it's you know admittedly a tough state and, and in a tough year. Um, we like where we're at. We think our fundraising, our messaging has been on point. Um, J.D. Vance has run just one of the worst races I've I've ever seen, and I think he is just a poor fit for Ohio, right? He's a, a San Francisco, Silicon Valley venture capitalist who, you know, sort of abandoned Ohio, wrote a book sort of trashing Ohio, um, and I think voters don't really buy it from him, you know, and I think that stands in stark contrast with Tim, who's... You know, former Youngstown State uh, quarterback, uh, been fighting for working families here in Ohio for a long time. And, and, you know, I think that's what we're seeing in the polls here. Yeah, it's probably the biggest candidate mismatch in the country. Just saying something because we have a bunch of them out there, <laughs> uh, which is one of the reasons we have a chance to hold on to the Senate. No, as you mentioned, Brown. So, you know, when, when Obama won re-election in 12, I think we won it by a couple of points. Sherrod was at five, but their win number was about the same, tad over 50. Obviously, 18, um, you know, bad candidate that Sherrod was able to run against their big Democratic year. He's obviously uh, shown the way, but I think Democrats have to understand it's still tough terrain uh, because there are some unique circumstances that have allowed him to to do as well as he did. So you're you're running well in that tough terrain. So let's talk about, you know, you mentioned Youngstown State quarterback. Uh, that part of the state is one of the areas we've seen the biggest erosion in a lot of Democratic races, uh, Canton, Akron, Youngstown. Uh, Tim Ryan does seem tailor-made. Obviously, he's had success in that area, uh, you know, before in Congress. But talk about what you're seeing in that part of the state in terms of you guys obviously have to outperform what we've seen, uh, certainly at the presidential level and the gubernatorial level recently to win. Uh, What are you seeing in your numbers there? Yeah, I mean, look, we're uh, we're overperforming where you would uh, expect sort of a, a generic Democrat to do. Obviously, um, I think we're going to see pretty similar to, to Sherrod Brown, 18 numbers in, in sort of the Northeast and the Mahoning Valley, um, you know, which is, is on track with where we need to be statewide. I think the interesting part of that's that corner of the state, which, you know, is is you're totally right. It's worth pointing out, like it's it's ground central to where. Democrats have lost voters, and I think emblematic of where Democrats have lost voters in the last 20 years nationwide. Um, But I I think what's interesting about it is, you know, Sherrod's done well there. Tim's done well there. We're going to do well there again. I don't think it's those voters have left the Democratic Party so much as the other way around. I mean, it's ground central for working class voters who largely feel like the Democratic Party isn't speaking to them. Um, you know, one of the the stories that sort of colors my view of this race was the first three days I was on the ground, I went and sat at a, a little biker bar in, in Austintown, just outside Youngstown, and just did my own sort of set of focus groups, um, mm-hmm. you know, chatted with folks, didn't tell them what I did, didn't tell them, you know, I worked for, for Tim or, or in politics. And four different people without prompting brought up Black Monday to me. Um, and if you've never heard of it, I, I wouldn't uh, hold it against you. I certainly had a, hadn't at the time, but it's the day in the 1970s when all the Youngstown uh, steel mills shut down. Mm-hmm. And these folks right. talk about it as a, a traumatic event when they went from, you know, the kids of middle class families destined for college and, and a middle class life to what ended up being generations of poverty as, as jobs have, have just evaporated in that area. 
And these folks talk about it with anger and frustration, and they feel like people in Washington, D.C., and I think particularly Democrats, just don't care. They feel like they feel mm. forgotten. They feel left out. And I think when you put candidates in front of them, like Sherrod, like Tim, um, you know, we have a real shot at, at winning those voters back. Like our policies are better for those voters. I think they respond pretty well to, to us talking about, you know, bringing jobs back and, 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 you know, fighting for the working class. And that's really who our party is at, at its core. But our messaging has, has, you know, slipped away from that. We've focused too much right. on things that benefit primarily college educated voters and, and voters that, that those folks just don't feel like we're speaking to them. Um, so I think that's what we're trying to do in this race is bring a lot of those voters back. I think we can. I think we've got the right policies. We just got to have the right messenger and, and the right message. Well, you're preaching some important gospel here, Dave, to, to Democrats, which is, um, you know, particularly as Republicans are showing some ability in some parts of the country to gain uh, vote share with black and brown non-college men, <laughs> like we have no room for error here. Uh, and, you know, a lot more voters in this country, not just in Ohio, but everywhere who who didn't go to college and went to college, almost two thirds, one third, right? We have to understand the math here. So I think you guys are showing uh, an important pathway here for Democrats to get competitive. All right. So if you hit your numbers in the northeastern part of the state and in the valley, that's one big component of how you win. You obviously also have to maximize your suburban vote, which is obviously all over the state. It's outside of Cincinnati. It's outside of Columbus. It's outside of Cleveland. Uh, sort of most famously, it's talked about in, in the Columbus area. But talk about suburban vote, what you're seeing uh, there in terms of your numbers. Yeah, I mean, we like where we're at. Uh, places like Delaware County outside Columbus, Lorraine right. outside of uh, Cleveland. Um you know, the Dobbs decision was beneficial for those voters or for us in, in terms of those voters. I think um, those suburban voters are a lot of folks who, um, you know, are frustrated by the extremism that they see in the Republican Party. Um, things like overturning Roe v. Wade is, is not where they want to be, even if they, they might not agree with Democrats on everything. Um, and I think like the contrast we talked about between Tim and, and J.D. has been really beneficial for us with those voters. I think suburban you know families in particular are really frustrated by the division and the hate that they have seen out of dc and you know i think particularly coming out of um you know trump and and uh, the right-wing folks here and so you know this sort of like who's more ohio who's more our values uh fight that we are i think everyone would agree winning in comparison to jd vance um on top of dobbs has been really really beneficial there um but as you point out those suburban voters are everywhere i think we're doing pretty well across the board and you know the way we sort of break up the the map for us is we obviously have to do well in the three c's and um in columbus uh cleveland and cincinnati uh we've got to do a little bit better in the rural parts of the state um you know down the ohio river where democrats you know traditionally have done well but have struggled lately um but we really see the, the swing vote in this race coming, what we call the, the sort of legacy cities, um, Youngstown, Dayton, Toledo, um, you know, cities that have been ravaged by bad trade deals and, and bad economic policies. For us, that's where the battleground uh, of this race really is. And, and again, I think we've set up a, you know, champion of working class who's been willing to stand up uh, to China, who's fighting to bring our manufacturing jobs back with a, you know, a San Francisco venture capitalist who has made money off of jobs going overseas and bringing foreign workers into Ohio. I think that contrast has been really good for us and, and we're seeing it in our numbers. And it's why the race is, you know, so there. as close it is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, not just the three C's, but some of those, uh, you know, huge blue collar cities, you know, sort of the northern tier of the state. But you also mentioned, uh, you know, the counties along the Ohio River, also just along the western side of the state that have gone more and more red. Uh, and it is interesting. You mentioned Delaware County, like Delaware County. If I recall in our reelect in 12, we lost about like 20 points. You know, it's it's a massive shift to us. So it's not all bad news out there. Uh, but talk about, you know, because in some of those counties, you're not going to win them, but you're just trying to keep the margin within range, right? So they don't add up to essentially a big city that you get clobbered in. So talk about that. You know, some of those are rural voters, some of them exurban voters. Uh, same message working with those voters. And, and what are you seeing in your numbers? Yeah, I mean, uh, broadly on message, it's it's been the best part of this campaign that, you know, Tim gets to say the same thing no matter where he is, the message works everywhere. Um, yeah, and, and to your point in those rural counties, like, you know, there are counties where, uh, you know, Biden and, and Hillary got 10 percent. Uh, if we get 20, 25 percent, we're in good shape and we're on track <laughs> right, to do that. Right. Um, you, know, you, got, you just got to sort of add up in a lot of those counties. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think the first thing we did in this campaign was make a strategic decision uh, not to do what I think a lot of Senate races do, which is sort of spend the off year uh, 
hiding and raising money and, and doing all that stuff, we made the very early strategic decision. We're going to send Tim everywhere. Um, and the the sort of tactic was, you know, in a lot of these markets, every time we show up, you know, every time we go to Toledo, we get a three minute segment on the evening news. It's been great for Tim's name ID for introducing uh, him to folks. But then the, the, the sort of broader piece is a lot of these counties, particularly you go down to, to Southern Ohio along the river, they haven't seen a Democrat, you know, in 20 years, uh, you know, maybe Sherrod, but certainly no other uh, Senate candidate has rolled through there. And so our, our first task here was just to show these folks were willing to show up. Tim's not some alien. He's not the thing they, they the caricature they see on the news. Um, just get him down there and, and do some retail politics. Make sure we're getting press coverage on it. And I think that's gone a long way in a lot of these folks who feel forgotten by D.C., Tim Ryan showing up is the first step to, to making them believe that uh, he would be a representative who's going to fight for them. So let's talk about, you mentioned the three C's, city, uh, biggest cities in Ohio. You obviously always have college campuses spread throughout the state as well. So you've got turnout targets. So let's talk about that. So, I mean, to win Ohio in 2022, all the things we've talked about have to go right, right? I mean, you have to do, you know, northeastern uh, part of the state, Mahoning Valley. You obviously, as you get into some of those cities, as you go west, uh, Toledo, you've got to exceed, you know, what we've seen most Democrats do. you got to keep the numbers down uh, in, in along the south, southern part of the state and, and the western. But then you got to hit your turnout targets which I assume this late in the campaign is, you know, a huge focus of your time and, and, and your team's time. What are you seeing there in the numbers for either concern or optimism in terms of turnout projections? Yeah, I mean, the the numbers are really good and and I'm uh, still a little bit in shock at how good they are. Um, you know, Target Target Smart, uh, who's a, a major Democratic uh, yeah. data vendor, has put, put out a public-facing uh, website that shows more or less what we see on the back end, um, sort of, there are there is no um, party registration on the file here in Ohio, so we have to model who we think are Democrats, yeah. who we think are Republicans. Um, and so when we look at who has voted already, uh, both early vote and, and absentee ballot, um, we are, we're about 150,000 votes ahead of where we were at this point in 2018. Obviously, 2018 was a great electorate for us, shared yeah. around one by seven points. If we got the 2018 electorate, I would be happy and feel good going into election night. Um, so we're ahead of that so far. And I think what's even more encouraging is at this point uh, in 2018, uh, sort of modeled Republicans were outpacing modeled Democrats by six and a half points. Uh, today, model Democrats are outpacing Republicans by five points. Um, you know, listen, is it we went through a pandemic and voting behaviors have changed? Sure, right. that's a possibility, but I don't really care. We've got a 10 point <laughs> swing and <laughs> we're building up a, a lead of Democrats here going into Election Day. So that obviously for our GOTV efforts are great. Everyone who votes early comes out of our universe. We get to focus on, you know, more right. propensity voters. Um, you, you really couldn't if, if you had asked me 20 months ago, uh, you'd be sitting here eight days out. And this is what the early vote numbers would look like. I wouldn't have believed you. And, and you couldn't have couldn't have written sort of a better better place to be uh, at this point in the election. And remind everybody, what percent of the vote will come in early in Ohio? If you, you know, your it's projections. a great question. Um, historically, you're probably 35, 40 percent. I think there's some questions as to whether or not, uh, you know, 2020 changed all of that. Right. Um, we're, we're sort of waiting to see like everybody else. But it's it's a significant sh uh, share of the electorate. Right. And having a lead going into Election Day is is important. Could be up to half this time. Right. Could I mean, be. it's possible. Yep. We'll see. Yep. And so in some states, uh, Dave, um, there has been, uh, you know, based on return so far, uh, mail and or early vote, some concern that uh, young voters are not turning out. That's not been uniform. What are you guys seeing with voters under 30 in terms of that data? Yeah, it's, it's mixed and, you know, sort of yeah. depending on where you go in the state. And, you know, if you had a really strong campus program or something, you're seeing it a little bit better. Um, I think overall we're trailing 2018 uh, by a couple points, but, you know, within the margin of what you what you might expect. Um, you know, remember 2018 was a really phenomenal after for us. And I yeah. think because you had Donald Trump in the White House being a lunatic, like you just, you, some folks voted that you might not otherwise uh, have gotten out there. Um, we've got one of the biggest campus programs in the country. Ohio's, you know, got a ton of, of uh, college campuses. So we're working to get those votes out. Um, you know, I think we'll see how successful we are at the end, but so far the electorate looks pretty uh, beneficial to us, even though, uh, you know, young voters have been a little bit of a, little bit of a lag from 2018. Yeah, what's crazy, what's interesting about that, just given that everybody assumed six, seven months ago, this is going to be a wipeout for the Democrats. I mean, 
when you look at the early vote and you did a, a great job of walking us through it, if somehow we could get a little boost here in the last you know week from young voters, uh, we're going to find ourselves in a remarkable position in a lot of places, certainly compared to what we thought. Um, you know, one of the challenges uh, is obviously getting in, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, North Carolina, uh, Wisconsin, Ohio, it's easy to see how you get the 47, 48, 40 and a half. Now, of course, there are some states where, you know, there's going to be third party candidates where the Democrat only has to get 48 to win. So let's talk about that. Like, what do you think you need to get to? Is it, you know, is it going to be 50? Is it 49? And just talk about it's hard. You know, I think that um, a lot of people who've not worked in politics, you know, they're very involved. Like a poll that says somebody's 45, 45, you'd rather have that than down. But like, that's not 100, right? Percent of the vote allocated. So I know so much of what you're spending time on is, all right, how do we make sure we get the proper mix of the remaining undecideds and get turnout in our favor? So talk about that. What's your win number actually from a percentage standpoint have to be as you model it out? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there's no one else on the ballot. The, the Libertarians blew it in 2020 and lost their ballot line. So uh, we, we've got to get. Oh, to that's 50. right. That's right. Yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> when you look at prior Ohio, like that's a thing. You know, Sherrod won by five back in 12, if I recall, but at 50 because five percent. That's right. So this is just yeah. you in Vance. Right. Yep. Right. We got to get to fifty. Yeah. Um, you look, get there's to 50. Uh, been a handful of polls that have gotten us to fifty and, and above it. Um, uh, you know, our path to victory here is we have to pull enough Republicans and enough moderate independents. Uh, you know, to to get us there. And, you know, our target had been about 10 percent of Republicans. If you look at all the public polling, even the Republican polls, you know, they've been pushing out a bunch of these, I would call garbage polls, but whatever, they've, they've been pushing them out. Even in those polls, we're pulling anywhere from, you know, nine to 13 percent. So we're right on target of, you know, Republicans. We got a poll there. Uh, we've got a 20 point lead with independence. Um, you know, we are doing the things we need to do on the persuasion side. The remaining question, and we're in the midst of it, is are we going to do the things we need to do on the turnout side? Right. Um, and I think, you know, Dobbs has certainly motivated our base. Um, we have made the largest investment in a coordinated, uh, I think, in a long time, at least uh, on a Senate race here. We've got the largest coordinated in the, the country. So we're, we've got the boots on the ground out knocking doors, making the phone calls, getting people to turn out. You know, that's what the next eight days are about. Can we make sure that uh, we keep the lead we're seeing in early vote and, and get it through Election Day? I think the interesting right. thing in this election that's that's maybe gone unnoticed so far is uh, Republic. So turnout overall is is ahead of 2018. The electorate is also more favorable to Democrats so far. That is driven in part because Democrats are turning out a little bit higher than we expected. But it's also mm -hmm. because Republicans are turning out a lower uh, right. cases than we expected. And look, the, the Republican Party has spent the last two years talking about how the election systems are fraud and don't vote by mail. And, you know, it's all it's all rigged. At some point, that has to have an impact on, on exactly. their base, uh, voters. And I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, maybe they're all going to show up on Election Day. But at least for the moment, there's a lot of evidence to suggest not only will Democrats turn out at a higher pace than we expected for a midterm, Republicans are going to turn out at a lower pace than we expected. Well, if that's the case, that's a recipe to victory. We saw in even in 18, which was a great Democratic year and a lot of red places, they Republicans got strong turnout. Yep. Trump obviously did what he needed to do in 16 and massive turnout in 20 on their side, which kept that race yep. close. So and you're right. It could be that we just have seen the patterns change enough uh, that they're going to overperform so much on Election Day. It evens out. But I I've, I agree with you. Like, I think when you consistently say elections are fraudulent, your vote's not going to matter. It's rigged. Oh, and by the way, Trump's also saying, why would you give McConnell the Senate, you know, leadership position? Why would you give Kevin McCarthy? You know, it's like, I don't know, like all it takes is three, four percent of Republicans to say, you know what, I'm going to think twice to, to make a difference. So talk about, listen, I think, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, Tim Ryan, you know, obviously he's been in Congress, he ran for president. But, you know, if he were to win a race like this, it's a marquee race, becomes a national figure. That'd be great for the party to have someone in leadership in the Senate. Who not just understands how to speak to blue collar voters, but that's kind of his North Star. I think it'd be very good. On the flip side, having someone like J.D. Vance in the Senate would be uh, incredibly dangerous to the country. Uh, so uh, obviously you guys have differences with Vance on a whole bunch of issues. But talk about that a little bit. You've, you've obviously probably had to get a Ph.D. in J.D. Vance. So talk about how dangerous it would be to have someone like that on the national stage. Yeah, I mean, uh, I Reading through all of the research we've done on J.D. Vance paints uh, an, an ugly picture, and it's of a picture of a guy who I don't know what his core beliefs are. I'm not sure he has any core beliefs. Um, 
he basically hasn't taken a position in the last 10 years that he hasn't changed his mind on. Um, and I think change his mind is sort of the, the most generous way to put that. I think he has very clearly in this race went from, uh, you know, a, a never Trumper who called Trump America's Hitler, um, you know, saying he's the worst thing that could ever happen to America to uh, he's the greatest president of my lifetime. And he's out there kissing his ass to get his support. Um, the, the sort of craven, uh, pessimism and and cynicism of of the jd vance uh you know transformation is hard to watch and it's it's scary to think that this guy then gets into to the senate and has the ability to vote based on that um you know and i I think when we look at particularly his ties to peter thiel and a lot of these sort of far right wing often nationalist uh thinkers and and folks who have really scary ideas. I mean, I think that's who J.D. Vance is going to gravitate towards. I think that's what he's going to represent in the Senate, you know, if we're not successful here. And that's a scary prospect. And and I think it pushes the Republican Party in an even darker corner, um, you know, that I I don't know how they come back from. And, you know, to your point, I think the flip side is I think Tim Ryan not only needs to win this race for Ohio, but I think he needs to win it for the party. Like, I'm concerned about what happens if our party is just saying, all right, well, we can't win in places like Ohio anymore, which, you know, when you look at Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, these are very similar demographics. They're headed in the same direction. If we write off all of those states, what's our path in the Senate? What's our path in the presidency? Like, I I just don't know. We wait for Texas to come online. Like, I don't think that's enough. Um, So, you know, we've always sort of looked at this race as we've got to win this. This is important for Ohio. This is important for uh, the country. But I also think it's important for the direction of the party. Like, We're trying to write a new playbook for how Democrats win in the, the, the Midwest. And um, it's not really a new playbook. It's how we've done it for decades. Our party has just sort of moved away from that. Well, you, you couldn't be more right, uh, uh, both about, you know, I think the dangerous uh, role J.D. Vance could play. I mean, hell, the guy would probably run for president. I mean, you know, if, if, particularly if Trump doesn't run. Yeah. Um, I think we have to understand that. But, um, you know, you mentioned, I mean, in a scenario where Ohio and Iowa, um, and then you add those three states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, it's not enough just Texas. You'd have to have Texas and Florida. Yeah. Uh, so it's insanity. Uh, both from a Senate and presidential standpoint. Talk a little bit about, obviously, you, you obviously don't want to, on the record, uh, you know, say anything about the governor's race, but it's pretty clear. Uh, I'll say it. You know, obviously, DeWine is going to is gonna have a victory there of some significance. So to win, you obviously are going to have a pretty significant uh, number of voters. And we, we see this in other states as well this year, which is fascinating uh, on both sides. But you're going to have to have a significant number of voters who might vote Republican in the governor's race, Democrat uh, in the Senate race. Obviously, a lot of that is due to your candidate's unique appeal to them, J.D. Vance's weakness, just the competitiveness of the race. But talk about who those voters are. They probably reside in all corners of the state that we talked about earlier. But if you kind of had to center your thinking, which you've had to do on who those voters are, talk a little about who they are and how they're making their decision. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't really know why folks are so surprised. There is plenty of split ticket voting. I mean, we have Republican governors in Massachusetts and Maryland and Vermont. Um, (laughs) This is not like some sort of mystery here. Like folks are willing to to give their vote to one party and and to the other on on different races. Um, Look, I I think a lot of those voters are uh, suburban, uh, you know, sort of around the rings of these major cities. Um, But I really do think that given the dynamics in this race, they're all over the place. I mean, I think you've got a lot of folks throughout rural Ohio who, uh, you know, are, are, are voting for Mike DeWine for a variety of reasons. And then they look at right. the Senate race and they say, I can't possibly vote for the guy who trashed us and moved to San Francisco and made money off outsourcing. And I like Tim Ryan. And I, and I do think it's as simple as that, that a lot of the crossover is not about policy. It is about simply they look at Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance and they say, I like Tim Ryan better. That's who I'm going to go with. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of our messaging has been geared to those folks. Um, you know, we are trying to give permission structures for folks who, you know, have voted historically Republican. Although I think a big chunk of those folks are folks who voted for, you know, your old boss, President Obama, a couple of times. Um, certainly, most of them voted for Trump in 2016 and, you know, maybe 50-50 on, on Biden uh, right. in, in 2020. Uh, but we've we've done a good job and, and it's been a part of our strategy to make sure those folks know Tim Ryan is willing to stand up to his party when they're wrong. He's willing to vote against bad trade deals when it's good for Ohio um, and give them that permission structure. And, you know, I, I, 
I won't comment on the the governor's race, but like you know, Mike Dewine is is obviously in a strong position, and I don't think there's any question there's going to be a significant chunk of of Ryan Dewine voters, very likely double digits. Right. I mean, some of those counties. I mean, I guess it'll be statewide, but particularly you think about some of those smaller counties where you know Dewine might win, you know, eighty five, fifteen, or eighty twenty, and hopefully you guys are able to be in the you know the twenties or, or or low thirties to keep that marching down. Um, so you've been very generous with your time. Last question. I think one of the challenges uh, in a campaign is, uh, you know, and you guys have been at this for a very, very long time. You Too know, long. you see the yeah, right. You see Election Day. So on the one hand, you, you see it, you, you get that extra shock of adrenaline. But just keeping that momentum up, you know, trying a way to break through in the final days when the press thinks they've heard it all, you know, uh, reaching voters who, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the most excited voters vote early in the uh, early voting period. Like just talk about as a campaign manager. How you keep everybody, you know, uh, as energized at the end of the game as you do at the beginning of the game? Yeah, I mean, this is an easy one because our candidate is uh, the most energetic to, of, of anyone. <laughs> He's really excited here in the last uh, last week or so to go to every corner of Ohio and wants big crowds and and wants to get out there and knock on doors and, and keep folks energized. Um, but look, I, I think we have in this race, um, you know had a real burst of momentum here since uh, the first debate we did with with J.D. Vance, where, you know, Tim just cleaned his clock and we were, you know, sort of everywhere for a few days. Uh, and that has really fueled, um, you know, donations here at the end that have allowed us to get really loud on TV. Uh, you know, we were basically at parity for September through, you know, the first week of October, and we're going to double them up uh, in the last two weeks, uh, which is, is really critical here in a close race. Um, you know, we've had a rash of great press stories and endorsements and, um, you know, but the thing that keeps us all motivated the most is, uh, you know, Tim's roaming around the state in a big red bus and we all get to go out and uh, go to the rallies and, and go to the events where folks are really excited. And, you know, I think to your point at the beginning of this, and I, I get texts every day from folks who have worked in Ohio or from Ohio or whatever, and, and they feel like we've given them hope that we can win here again. And yeah. I think that's what's keeping us all motivated um, and energetic here at the, at the end. We want to do this. We want to shock the world on on tuesday and we're going to leave it all out on the field to, to get that done well you've done an awesome job you guys have had some really great ads too i think noticeable in terms of uh their quality and i assume effect on on voters yeah, well listen shout out, to, Dave, shout out to left hook who did our ads who <laughs> a phenomenal job on this one yeah no they've been great great language great visuals uh great emotion so um dave thank you for uh, the, the race that you've run hopefully you and, and your team and tim ryan will be responsible for jd vance's political elegy uh, which would be a wonderful thing. Uh, hopefully he will never roam uh, the streets of Ohio again. Uh, but uh, but congrats here in the closing days, and we'll all be watching uh, intently on election night, and, and if it, it spills into the next day, <laughs> to, to, to see what happens. But thanks for the great race you've run. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having us.